Doing okay. Busy for a Sunday, you know. <laughs> it happens every now and again. All right. I'm going to tell you a story real quick that won't make it to the show. So, okay. you know, I, I had to record about a half hour late because of a work thing. Mm-hmm. Try really hard not to work on the weekends, but my boss is out for surgery. So I have interim boss. An interim boss does things differently than regular boss. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. So that's me. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, nothing crazy to report. Kayla and I went to a maple syrup festival oh, nice. yesterday. Um, and by that, we mean it was one um, maple syrup house. Syrup house? Is sure. that what they call them? Shack. Sugar shack. Sugar shack. Um, so it was basically, uh, they they had a big open space uh, pole barn that they had some like living history folks in, which was like uh, hipsters playing fifes. <laughs> Right and they had they had uh, some food you could get. They had a petting zoo, which was a goat and some chicks. You could but they also had pet thing- the hipsters. Yeah, <laughs> pet, pet my mustache. <laughs> um, and they had a, I think a, you could take a horse and cart over to where they were doing like a lumberjack show of some kind, um, and maybe they had to add some more animals there to pet. Um, it se- it was funny because it seemed a little rinky dink. I mean, it was just one. It wasn't like. Vermontville has one, and I think it's like the whole town, and they have like a carnival, and it's like a legit festival. Sure. Uh, so this seemed a little odd to be calling it a festival. But my sister was going to come down, but they hit some weather and turned around. So we said, well, we'll go, and you can decide if you want to leave early Sunday and come down to this, mm-hmm. you know, for a five-hour drive. And we left, and we said it's not worth a five-hour drive. Oh, if if we if you're if she was driving from northern Michigan, yeah, they got like. Two and a half inches of snow in an hour or something yeah. like that. And yep. uh, it ended up becoming five or six inches total. Yeah. My mom shoveled the driveway, took a nap, and looked outside, and it was untouched. It looked like nobody had done any work outside. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so we were like, yep, don't don't bother. Um, they'd started down because they were going to go to my folks yesterday and then come down the rest of the way because it was in Jones where we went. And uh, uh, they decided that they, they would go back to their house at... I don't know what time they left, but it was at the right time to, you know, encounter a lot of the snow and be like, we're not going to try to drive through this. So Nice. Well, why don't we start there with festivals? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I'm Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And you, Steve, texted me a little while ago, but I didn't bring it up on my itinerary for today, a cheese festival that I think we should go to. Yes, Kayla found this. I'm not sure why or how, uh, but yeah, it is a in Ellsworth, Wisconsin. So it's a bit of a drive. It's almost near the Twin Cities. Sure. Um, just outside of the Cheese Curd Festival or a Cheese Curd Festival, because I don't know if there are any others. We we know that there are a lot of other Rocky Mountain Oyster Festivals. Yeah. I, I didn't check to see if there were any other Cheese Curd Festivals. Oh, but. wow. If you were to do deep fried Rocky Mountain Oysters and Cheese Curds on the same skewer, it would just be a skewer of balls. <laughs> and they would just they all be roughly the same shape. Probably different sizes, but roughly the same shape. Yeah. And cheese curds are like that, too, so you'd not be able to tell them apart. I um, I do not know how far this is from me, but I'm totally in. June 23rd, I am free. I've got nothing going on that day that I'm aware of. 
And, uh, like, they're not even trying to be clever or anything like that. Their tagline is just, we can throw one heck of a cheese curd party, exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that level of directness where they're just like, it's a cheese curd festival, motherfuckers. What do you think we have? Yeah. Right? Like, they're trying to get out in front of the Karens who are like, I would like a pumpkin spice latte. And they're like, it's fucking cheese curds. Where do you see pumpkin spice latte in that? Although um, they might have pumpkin spice cheese curds because <laughs> they do have dessert cheese curds that they offer every year. Um, I, uh, if you're not, dipping if... deep fried cheese curds into like a warm Nutella kind of a mixture, fondue style, I'm in. I'm not going to eat a ton of that, but I'd eat some. Well, the, so Caleb, okay, here it is. So if you click on food and beverage and you go down, they have the 2019 festival favorites um, for well, here, their food before we get to that, let's go through what they say. Okay. June 23rd, 24th, Ellsworth, Wisconsin, 6,000 pounds of cheese curds, 30-plus mm-hmm. craft beers, hard ciders, local wines, 20-plus cheese curd food dishes. If this was uh, done by any of those online lists, right, it would have been yeah. like the top 23 cheese curd dishes. Uh, live music, tastings and samples, classic car show. Again, if I wasn't in before, now I'm super in. Vendor Marketplace. You know what Vendor Marketplace is, right, Steve? Soap. Yeah. Uh, jams. <laughs> yeah, right? but I feel like they all need to be made from cheese curds. So cheese curd jam, cheese curd soap. Yeah, yeah. Well, spicy cheese curd jam, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then a Vendor Marketplace is always going to have at least one super weird-ass crocheted thing, where it's like, <laughs> you can crochet things that are like, oh, well, this is a potholder, or this is a trivet, or something like that. And it'll be like, crocheted couch. you like, holy shit, an entire couch, right? And it'll be like $90,000. <laughs> Uh, and what is what is this weird crocheted bag? It's a curd cozy. Yeah, or it's a coffin, right? <laughs> so now, what were you saying about 2019 favorites? Okay, so if you click on food and beverage, if you're on the website, um, then you go down to take a look at our 2019 food contest winners. I don't know why it goes all the way back to 2019. Maybe this is the first time back. I, I don't yeah. know. Or maybe it just hasn't been updated yet. But their fav- uh, festival favorites uh, from Mini Apple Pie is the Apple trap pie an individual handmade deep fried apple pie topped with ellsworth cheese curds and their I'm homemade in. apple syrup i'm totally so in. yeah yeah that's i mean because people put cheese on uh cheddar cheese on apple pie all the time yeah and the people's choice was holy donuts with their breakfast donut donut covered in sweet maple syrup and topped with squeaky curds and crumbly bacon yeah i'm also in so um those are kind of the uh the desserts i guess they're gonna have a bunch of food trucks it looks like at least um what's happened in the past it looks like so uh yeah it looks like this is a festival yeah right this This is is a festival what i'm and they have they have entered uh they have concerts and stuff as well i mean we're looking at the vendors here the hungry badger holy donuts tasty treats smoky treats barbecue the big cheese Regal quesadillas and Philly cheese, the original Minneapolis pie, which is M-I-N-N-E-A, so Minneapolis, right? Yes. Uh, Cannels in Hognito, in Hognito. Caveat egg rolls, royal kettle corn. Um, let me see if there's any other cool sounding ones here. Walk this way, crisp. W-O-K. That's amazing. <laughs> Looks like Tasty Treats also does cotton candy. Jakarta Cafe rolled ice cream. That one stands out, but I'm in for it as well because I've had that kind of ice cream before, and that's also a lot of fun. I have not, but I have seen it. Yeah. So uh, when you and I went to the Milwaukee County Fair? Wisconsin State Fair. Wisconsin State Fair. That's 
like on the high end of that thing where like a festival is smaller than that. That thing probably allowed 30,000 people in a shot. Like that was this that was three times the size of my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> That's too much. That was overwhelming. That was like a 3-day thing. This feels more like a festival that would that would be doable in one day even if you brought kids that were kind of little. Yeah. And I am here for all of that. Now I should Google it and find out how far away fucking Ellsworth, Wisconsin is. <laughs> if I'm going to drag my family to this thing. I think it was it was all it was a decent drive. It was like a 7-hour drive for me um to get there. It is wow, 5 hours and 24 minutes. That is a long ways. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely a drive, spend a night. Yeah. Do the thing the next day, maybe spend another night and drive back kind of a thing. Although you could probably do it and then drive back in the same day because you don't have to worry about getting home in time for anything unless it's sleep. Just to be certain, let me make sure that my calendar is free at that point. Oh yeah, wide open. I'm in. That sounds like a shit ton of fun. And it does sound like a trip where you stay somewhere and then make it a a two or a three day thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. Cheese Curd Festival, are you kidding? Because that was the best part of the Wisconsin State Fair anyway, so if we can just skip the hullabaloo and just jump right to the cheese curds, we're all set. Oh, they have campgrounds listed on their uh, lodging. One's five miles away, 20 miles away, 12 miles away. All right, so we'll put that on the list. Um, I am. I didn't even look at how much it costs to get in, but I bet you it's like six bucks, <laughs> you know. And then the vendors inside all charge as well. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, that's our summer sorted. Yeah. Great. <laughs> our I, first uh, uh, food road trip. I have not really looked into this too closely, but ladies and gentlemen, if you live in Chicago, I have heard that we are hosting a NASCAR event here in Chicago this year, this summer which supersedes Taste of Chicago. Now, I haven't been to Taste of Chicago in like 15 years because the first one that I went to, it it's my fault, I guess. It's not what I expected because I walked in and the first booth that I saw was McDonald's and I was like, this is like Taste of Corporate fucking America. What is this? And a lot of the vendors were just like straight up hot garbage. Like, it's not Taste of Chicago. It's not the World's Fair. This is just like eat shitty food outdoors. I must have missed the point, right? Now, I've been to the Green City Market Benefit Barbecue a couple of times. That's what I was expecting. High-end fucking restaurants doing really fun food outside, putting shit on sticks. That's what I wanted to get out of Taste of Chicago. Taste of Chicago was like, get mugged and eat a McRib. Nah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Well, I don't know if if NASCAR's a step up. I'm a little biased. Uh, I guess maybe... Um, but I didn't they do a NASCAR event uh, last year as well or I have no idea. So my my question is this uh, because I spent ten a decade in Florida, um, which is not too far from Daytona. Yeah. Um, which is a big NASCAR thing, and I did go to the Daytona Museum. I didn't go to a, I've never been to a race, but I went to the Daytona thing. Um, the those cars are very very loud. Yeah, they are. And that's going to be reverberating off a lot of uh, glass windows in that because they're doing Grant Park. They're going to close off Grant Park and race around yeah. some kind of loop there, though the museum campus is supposed to stay open uh, because it's on a weekend. And the aquarium was like, hey, do we have to close down because we're going to lose a lot of money if we have to close down over this weekend? And right. I'm like, oh, no, you can stay open. It's like, oh, yeah, you just people are going to look and be, oh, NASCAR race. Now nah, not going to the aquarium today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll see what actually happens. But I, I just don't know, like, uh, with the noise level, if all of the 
the windows are going to survive closest to the uh, park. I'm sure it'll be fine, but... Well, I know... So this would have been 2001 or 2002 when I was living in Houston and I was working at the Four Seasons. They did... I don't know if it was NASCAR, but it was some sort of a big street race thing that was legitimate. It wasn't just like kids in Honda Civics at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we were on the race route, and the kitchen was on the 11th floor, and we could hear them through the wall, even with the hoods going and all the kitchen noise and everything. You're not yeah. wrong. It is fucking loud. Yeah. So that, that'll be that'll be interesting. It, it was also an interesting – I'm sure it's an initiative by NASCAR to try to broaden their um, demographic in terms of people that come to races and stuff. It is interesting that – I mean, I was also on the track in Daytona um, – or, or at least close enough to see the the corners are almost vertical. Yeah. That because the cars are going so fast, so they're not going to be able to get to those speeds on a street race. Obviously, otherwise they're not going to be able to corner. I am wondering what it's going to do to the streets around there. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, but they're definitely not going to be able to get to the speeds that they do on an oval track because they you know they're not going to put in um, build corners that can handle those, you know, those kinds of speeds. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting thing. I I do wonder what it will do, you know, how it's going to boost the economy in Chicago, if at all, you know, I wonder what the fallout's going to be in terms of, uh, cost benefit analysis afterward. Yeah. Um, I, the, the mayoral race in Chicago is still going on because while Lori Lightfoot did like conclusively lose her, her reelection bid, uh, the two front runners, uh, Brandon Johnson and, Paul Vallis, neither of them got 50% of the vote. So they're having a runoff. Uh, but that will happen. When's the inauguration of the Chicago mayor? I don't even know. But whatever the fallout is, I bet you will fall on the lap of whoever that mayor is, even though this shit has been decided by Lori Lightfoot. So, right. I mean, she gets to do a good hand washing on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say this, though, going back to uh, Taste of Chicago. Two yeah. things. One is... That Chicago, I mean, uh, McDonald's is based just down in um, Oak, Oak Brook yeah, Terrace yeah. or something like that. So, it, I mean, McDonald's would be a taste of Chicago um, in that regard. It is it is local, so it, it should be, in, in some ways, a part of a taste of Chicago. It's not just like, hey, we're everywhere, but their headquarters <laughs> are nearby. Right, right, right. And the second thing is, I'm assuming that it's, instead of get a McRib and get mugged, it's going to be uh, get a McRib and get hit by a NASCAR. Um, there you go. Come the uh, the, the race. That uh, similar, similar foods, eat hot garbage and hear loud cars. <laughs> I actually cannot see when the inauguration happens for the um, election. Uh, you know, it's you're absolutely right. Big corporate sponsors like that are going to be available. So you'll have McDonald's, if you want it, to watch cars go 55 <laughs> through downtown. <laughs> well, they'll be able uh, to go faster on the straightaways. But, I mean, it's only Grant Park, so the straightaways aren't really that. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless they're going all the way down. I imagine, what, they're going to close off Michigan Avenue? I don't know what I don't know what the loop is. And I also don't know how long it takes to plan something like this. Because ladies and gentlemen, people say we are now living in a, a post-COVID world. We're not. But things like this, right? Like we were talking about the cheese curd festival. Yeah, there's a good chance they haven't had one in four years or three years. So maybe this NASCAR deal was because it, it, it is safer in a COVID sense than putting a couple 20,000 people together in a park have them all line the streets and watch people in cars right it's it's nominally safer so maybe this is a covid-based decision that was made a long time ago and now that we can have festivals and stuff again 
they just said, well, crap, we already have this NASCAR thing going on. Because yeah. I'm sure you don't <laughs> plan that on a Tuesday to happen on a Thursday, right? Like, it's got to right. be planned well in advance. And they have to, like you were saying, they have to scout out a route that's going to give them the speeds that they want to achieve. And the, like, because a real slow NASCAR race also isn't going to bring advertiser dollars and people buying tickets and shit like that. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's just curious because NASCAR typically isn't street race. Um, I mean, right. I feel like Formula One is more of the flat. We're going to make a lot of turns for whatever reason, because I think those cars can even go faster. But and and then like Le Mans was always just like modified regular cars, right? Yeah. When yeah. you're doing kind of street race stuff. So, I mean, I'm not against street races or, you know, racing through the city necessarily. It's just NASCAR seems um, antithetical to that. Yeah. Um, it's it seems like cha- the move from football to arena football um, yeah. is sort of a situation where it's like, well, it, it shouldn't this be its own thing versus um, well, and again, the, the same thing. We'll see how it goes. Maybe it'll bring a bajillion dollars into Chicago. I don't know. Yeah. I'll find out when it is, and I will be out of town during that time. Because you're <laughs> yeah. right. Like, it's going to be a mess one way or the other. Just because it's the first time they're doing this thing. It, some part of it's going to be a mess. I get that. That's yeah. fine. And they they also just started work on the Kennedy that's going to last like two or three years, right? So yeah, traffic is a mess now um, leading leading up to that. So, I mean, that's that's Chicago. Chicago traffic is not great. I keep an, a meme in my phone, which is equal parts funny, but it's that funny where you start laughing and then you switch to crying about halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> that says, be like I-94. Be constantly working on yourself no matter who it inconveniences. And it's like, that's God's honest truth right there. But at the same time, fuck you, I-94. Because this is that same issue with Chicago that you and I have talked about in the past, which is none of the city departments talk to each other. You'll have a group come in and tear a road up and put a new road in. And then two days later, the Department of Water will come in and tear that same road back up and put new pipes in. And then the first group has to come back in and put new road down. And then the electricians come in and put new lampposts in by tearing up part of the road. And then the sidewalk guys come in and they're like, none of this is the right height. And they put a sidewalk in that's got like a five-inch drop to the road. And the road guys have to come back. And all of a sudden, it's been a fucking decade on one six-block chunk of Irving Park. Yeah, that's now been paved like five times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unreal. Yep. So that's that's ninety ninety four. That's going to happen through Chicago for the next three years. <laughs> ha ha ha! It's going to be ten. <laughs> wow. Just just when you're like, oh, we can finally get through downtown almost. <laughs> uh, nope, we're going to mess no. it up again. Well, and I also get it. There's no road surface material in the world that's designed to operate under the conditions that Chicago has, right? We have a 120-degree gradient throughout the year. You'll get up to 100 degrees, if not more, during the summer in Chicago and under zero. You'll get to negative 10, negative 20 over the winter. No single road surface is designed to handle that shift. I get it. And having people drive over it all the time. I get that, too. So, fine. But at the same time, man, if the city departments don't start talking to each other one of these centuries... It's never going to get fixed. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I always equate it to restaurant stuff. Like, if a server takes an order from a table, and the, the, the order is a steak and mashed potatoes and vegetables, and the steak goes on the plate, and the plate goes out, and the customer's like, but I wanted these other things. So the plate comes back, and they put mashed potatoes on it, and the plate goes back out. And the the, the Customer's like, yeah, but I also ordered asparagus. So the plate goes back. They put asparagus on it. It goes back out to the table. And the customer goes, my steak and my mashed potatoes are cold now. That is how Chicago builds roads. (laughs) Motherfuckers. Yeah. 
and they all work and for the city. Occasionally, it's uh, but I asked for asparagus. They bring it back. They're like, "Oh, we're out of asparagus now." Yeah, it's like, "Well, I'm going to start over then." <laughs> Meanwhile, that customer's gone to another restaurant. As in, yeah. I use Montrose instead of Irving Park, which doesn't really affect anybody except me because there's so many <laughs> fucking stop signs on Montrose. <sighs> um. So, so as long as we're talking about servers and we kind of were talking about McDonald's, you want to segue into Robot McDonald's? Hell yeah! And then after that, let's get into my new staffing woes. So Robot oh, McDonald's. No. Yeah. Robot McDonald's, yes. Okay. So you found this, and I think we had seen something um, of Robot McDonald's somewhere else, but this one's in Texas. Yep, this is outside of Fort Worth, Texas. And they, the McDonald's says it is a, um, uh, what did they call it? Uh, not live and learn. <laughs> it's a... Uh, it's a field test. Yeah. Oh, test and learn phase. So this isn't like the final, this is like proof of concept. It's not like final. This is how things are definitely going to be if we actually implement these. And it's not completely robotic in terms of there's no people there. It sounds like there's still people preparing food. They're just not dealing with the people. I mean, this solves for a very particular problem. And it looks like they're solving for several at once. But in one particular case, this solves for Karen problems, which is you you either order on an app or you order on a touchscreen that is exterior to the building. And then you get your food. If your food is in any way weird because of the way you ordered it, they're just closing the door, right? Now, obviously, there's still the human aspect to it right there's the human element so if you order a cheeseburger and i don't put cheese on it you're you're gonna want to come in and and get that fixed um some complaints that they've had are exactly that so from one tiktoker quote if they forget an item who are you supposed to tell the robot it defeats the purpose of using a drive-through if you have to go inside for it that's always been the case so i don't really understand that particular concern um but the idea is what they want to do is move toward a system where, like you were saying, there are still people in there cooking right now, but we also know that there are fully automated systems in the works. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You would order via an app. Can you imagine that? You would order via an app and either walk up to a window that's got a conveyor belt system in it, or you would drive up to it and you would get the food and you would interact with zero human beings. Yeah. I kind of dig that <laughs> You know, in, in this particular style of service. Yeah, yes. I, I think that there, yeah, um, I'll, it'll be interesting to see if the upsides outweigh the downsides, but yeah. I, I agree. I thought for both, for everyone concerned, this seems better because you know what else you can't do to a robot? Complain that they've stopped serving breakfast. Right, right, right. right. Uh, um, because there's no one to complain to. So, um, and you can't ask a robot to see the manager either because robot don't care. Yep. Um, so... So I, it does, I feel like, solve a lot of those kinds of issues, which then I think I was looking for it. Somewhere around here it says, oh, yeah, it gives our restaurant team the ability to concentrate more on order, speed, and accuracy, which makes the experience more enjoyable for everyone. And by everyone, they don't mean, like, everyone that comes, but everyone is in the kitchen. <laughs> everyone in the kitchen is – it makes the experience more enjoyable because they don't have to care about all the nonsense uh, front of house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you, you're really you're taking some of the human labor out of the cash register front of the house process because, like you said, there there are no seats inside of there. You don't get mm -hmm. to go in and sit down. And so you are removing one uh, 
avenue for miscommunication because the person who wants the food is placing the order themselves, right? And so it does put the onus on them to get their own order right, at least when they're ordering it. And then the people who are there, like the article says, are able to focus more on getting all the orders correct. Fucking great. And then, yeah, yeah you're right. This also solves for the problem of entitled assholes keep coming in and yelling at minimum wage workers who by the way can never change the things that they're asking them to change like if somebody if you ever ladies and gentlemen complain to a waiter about the cost of your meal you seriously think the waiter sets the fucking menu prices are you high you are yelling because you feel entitled to yell and that's an anger response and you're a child right you don't get to do that at this robot mcdonald's because a robot doesn't give a shit well, and the only thing that does when you do that to the server is it gives you worse service because as soon as you open your mouth and start saying that, that tells the server not getting a good tip from these guys, and yeah. then they don't care about you as much. Yeah. Um, so, you know, good job. But uh, um, and in that, and that, I'm torn because on the one hand, I'm like, well, you know, I wouldn't mind this kind of thing at uh, some sit-down places, you know, a little uh, yeah. a kiosk thing like they had on the uh, um, conference table or whatever um, in Star Trek. Um, right. in the middle there where you, you make your order and it goes back and then uh, heck a robot or a conveyor belt can bring it out. And uh, the other thing that this prevents in that sense is you're not going to be able to guilt a robot into trying to make a modification that the kitchen said was prohibited. Yeah. Um, so they're not going to ha- uh, have to try to figure out how to ring something in in a creative way to get you what you think you want um, despite being told that the kitchen won't do that. Um, well, there's that, and there's also there's two pieces to human interaction in a service industry kind of a, an environment, right? One of which is, I went and bought coffee yesterday. I went to this place called Percolator, which is in Portage Park, which is my old neighborhood. Love that place. So if you're in the northwest side of Chicago, go to Percolator. They do whole beans. They'll grind them for you if you want. Their coffee is great. We walked in. The guy recognized me. The guy behind the counter, I don't know his name, and I feel bad about that. And I, I, we said hi, and I grabbed um, two pounds of coffee because my other favorite place, Taste of Columbia, is closed this weekend because they're doing renovations. My daughter was there with me. She beelined for their pastry case. We did not know what we wanted when we walked in there, and that's part of the fun for me. I, I picked up two pounds of coffee. I got their Sumatra and their Dark House, put them on the counter. My daughter got a bag of chips because she decided she didn't want anything in the pastry case, and I said, I'll take a cup of coffee, whatever your darker drip is. And the dude was like, no cream, no sugar, right? And I was like, yep. And that's what I wanted. I just wanted that little bit of acknowledgement that I'm a human being. So is he. He remembers me. He knows that I'm kind of a grumpy guy who doesn't want <laughs> cream or sugar <laughs> in my coffee. And he goes, you don't need the beans ground, right? And I said, no, I don't. And he remembered that stuff. So that's like the positive side of the service industry interaction stuff. Where you get the Karen side of it is you go to this particular McDonald's. Let's say they this technology proves to be useful and it works. And you have a fully automated Chipotle. When someone goes to get avocado, they're going to know, or get guacamole, they're going to know when they hit the button that it costs extra. And there's nobody for them to complain to. So at that point, the onus is on you as a customer. You have to be emotionally prepared for that guacamole to be extra. And you're not able to say to your server, can I just get more ranch, please? because if you do you're gonna pay a quarter for more ranch and that's that's on you now right so like it does take out like you were saying some of the wheedling which i'm a huge fan of right you will know right up front here's what your modifications cost to this dish whatever yeah love it and and um 
you know, speaking of, there was another thing we saw this week where uh, Panera is going to start using palm scans to greet you, yeah. and that's so that their robots will know you're the one that doesn't like your coffee ground, and you you take it black, yeah. and they'll be able to like track your favorites or whatever via palm scans. Um, I don't. What, <laughs> what I did not see in that article is where they're placing the palm scanners, and if that shit is hidden in the door frame so that when you push the door open, they scanned your palm already. That feels like, I don't know, like a HIPAA violation or something. That feels like when, you remember Minority Report where What's-His-Face is walking through that place and it scans everybody's eyeball no matter what? It feels like that. Like, I don't yeah. need Panera knowing any fucking thing about me. And that's not Panera. Like, I want to be able to touch everyday objects and have them not gain information about me, you know? Yes. Yes. Um and you're right. I, it doesn't say where, but it, and if it is something like that, where it's like, yeah, we've we've quote, we've hidden, you know, right. these palm scanners because they're they're ugly or whatever in the the door frame or the whatever. And then then at that point, shouldn't you just be using facial recognition technology and set up cameras that are like a lot like the eye scanners? Um, right. And then you know they just. But I guess facial recognition could be. Uh, I I'll, I don't know how likely it would be, but maybe more likely to get someone's face mixed up with someone else's face versus someone's palm print being mixed up with someone else's palm print. But also, it's like I don't want to put my palm where the yeah neck for person from and he just stuck their palm. I don't know where their hands have been. Yeah. Question two. <laughs> so question one is where's the palm scanner? And if it's on the door, fuck you, Panera. Question two: If it's a pedestal when you first walk in, that's got a hand-shaped depression in it. There had better be a Panera employee standing there with a bleach solution spray bottle to sanitize <laughs> yes. it in between everybody putting their hand on it. Also, and I said this in my text to you, uh, I've seen Paneras in the temperate zone here. Do you have a mitten scanner? Because uh, I am not necessarily whipping my gloves off as soon as I walk into a place in the wintertime. Yeah. And question four is not really a question. It's any place worth their salt does this anyway. Even a mom and pop place. Like I was saying about percolator like they don't track my purchases necessarily even though i use whatever their uh i pay with my debit card so i'm sure they have some information on me but that dude recognizes me that dude knows what i'm gonna want kinda and so everybody does this already this is just a more uh calculated and kind of icky way to do it in a corporate sense in a big honking like cold-hearted corporate sense yeah and uh, fine, when I was at the fancy hotel that I worked at downtown here in Chicago, we were, when we worked brunch out front, given a binder with all of the, quote, VIPs who were in-house, and we were supposed to know them by name and face and uh, greet them with their title of choice, Mr., Mrs., Doctor, Professor, whatever, and their last name. And I consistently got that shit wrong. I'm terrible with names and faces. So uh, sir or ma'am was always my go-to, and nobody ever complained. But, like, lots of companies have those systems in place already in a very non-hackable way. That's my question. How deep does this go? And are we looking at a future where you go to a Panera, you put your hand on the dirty-ass scanner, and all of a sudden your health insurance goes up because your blood pressure is really high that day, and Panera's scanner got it, and it, it was information that went to your other biometric data holders right or, or or your health insurance goes up because this is the fourth time this week you've had the broccoli cheddar soup and they're like too right. much too much uh cheddar i don't know or whatever it is you're eating they're like no th- you've had bacon too many times this month and we're gonna hike your insurance because you need to stop eating that much bacon I got an alert yeah. from Mint, right? So my wife and I need to buy a new car this year, ladies and gentlemen. So if anybody's selling a very cheap, brand new car, hit me up. 
<laughs> oh, so first off, let me just say how embarrassing this is to me. So we got mint because it's part of the Intuit suite, and that's how I do our taxes and whatever. I, I was I was not shocked, but I was able to very easily link lots of our purchases and credit cards and shit like that to this account. We need to free up about 500 bucks a month to make a car note, right? Fine. I was able to do that simply by making pizza every Friday instead of buying pizza, because I'm spending between <laughs> 78 and $110 a week on pizza. And I got rid of this thing called Imperfect Foods. Imperfect Foods is fine. It's just not doing for me what I want done, because we've talked about this in the past. I actually kind of like grocery shopping. I like going to the grocery store, tabula rasa, brain just empty, yeah. and I look around and I see what looks good, and I build menus out of that, right? It's fun for me. And Imperfect Foods is cool for getting, like, weird shit, but... I was, again, spending between 70 and 100 bucks a week on that. And so we currently, I freed up 600 bucks a month for us by making pizza in-house and not buying frivolous food. Hilarious. <laughs> Where was I going with that? Oh, so yeah, you go to Panera for a third time that week and you scan your hand and your credit rating goes down, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> somebody is tracking your income versus how much money you spent at fucking Panera. Because yeah. I got an alert from mint because i changed around all of their budgeting tools because i was trying to figure out how to save some money and i went to the grocery store and i bought apparently more groceries than i had said i was gonna spend that month and i got an alert from mint like hey buddy watch all that fucking food you're buying and i was like oh this now this program just got annoying to me but it wasn't <laughs> wrong you know <laughs> nanny mint so how how inner connected is that going to be purposefully and how interconnected is that going to be accidentally when Panera obviously gets hacked for all of their biometric spending data that they have on all their customers yeah and and when does the alert that says hey you went over what you said you're going to budget become now uh, with the uh, progression that AI has had it's now um, not just an alert that's automated that's uh, boilerplate uh, being sent out to you but it's rather like Hey, Ben, I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> You've seemed to have spent a little bit more. Do you, do you need to talk? And you're like, no, you're a machine. Get away from me. Yeah. Or like you go to Panera and you scan your hand and it turns red and it's like, no, you, you've had a, you've had enough Panera this month. Yeah. I'm sure Panera wouldn't be down with that. But if it's, if it's like the potential to be linked to all of your other stuff, right? Like my watch, I keep having to tell my Apple watch not to track shit. Right Where I'm like, yes, track my steps. That's fine. I love that I get 24,000 steps a day, every day. Because, again, we're going to talk about my staffing woes in a minute here. Uh, but that's a number that I can look at that and I can be like, oh, that's why I'm tired. And then it's like, track your blood pressure? I'm like, fuck you, watch. Get away from me. Because my blood pressure is fine. I don't need that data to exist as a data set that can be downloaded from my phone and sent to somebody. I don't need that, you know? Yeah. But this watch wants to be real helpful. I'm tempted to try to figure out how to feed it fake data, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> fake data, also known as lore. Yes. <laughs> or or B4. Or B4, yeah. That, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, real quick Star Trek side note. Did you find B4 to be a little bit uh, offensive to folks who have developmental disabilities? You walked <laughs> that line, man. That was like... B4 was kind of short bussy and man I don't know that that even now that kind of bothers me. Yeah, I felt that just the existence of B4 to be a, a sort of offensive because um no nowhere was there room for a B4 yeah. in and why would 
Sung have named it before when there was nothing else after well, there yet. There was no after? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, unless you're like, I'm going to do a real crappy job on this one so that I can name it B4 and then build some that are better. Yeah. Um, it, you'd think you would have named it, uh, what was the McDonald's thing? Uh, test and... Um, test and learn? Yeah, test and learn. <laughs> so, you call him Testy for short. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> That'd be amazing to watch Patrick Stewart have to say that over and over again. Testy, uh, come here. <laughs> Commander Testy. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not watched all of the uh, Next Generation Star Trek, first, shame on you. Secondly, that's what that was. Uh, thirdly, if you are watching Picard on Paramount Plus, great, congratulations. If you have not, you can skip the first two seasons because they're fucking awful. This third season, somebody walked into that room and went, hey, whatever we did with the first two seasons, we're going to do the exact fucking opposite of that. It's been great. And I was really against watching it, but there's a guy that I work with who was like, you have to believe me, I lied to you a lot, but you have to believe me, this this season is, is so much better. And I was like, I don't fucking believe you. But I still pay for Paramount+, Plus. So I was like, I'll try it. It's <laughs> way better. Now, I don't know if it's good, because it's way better compared to the first two seasons, which were goddamn awful. So, that. That has nothing to do with food. I get you. They don't ever eat in this show. Like, Star Trek was always, like, a little bit food related but not really but in this show nope there's a lot of drug use but that's about it oh yeah that's all well <laughs> what can you, is it is it like ground coffee and other fiber oh man <laughs> we can talk about that real quick too so ladies and gentlemen update since our last episode i am still making my own fiber pills because it's safe and fun and feels illegal and it's not illegal but we were talking last week about other sources of dietary fiber and i looked it up spent coffee grounds like you grind your own coffee you brew a pot of coffee like i just did the junk that's left in that basket contains up to 30 percent of the total original caffeine still and is just straight dietary fiber insoluble fiber all the soluble shit by the way got solubled into your coffee so it's already in there so i took a couple of rounds of coffee grounds and i put them into my dehydrator between a couple of pieces of parchment paper so they wouldn't just go flying all over dehydrated them reground them into more of a powder and uh yeah now i added that to my mix in my uh fiber pills that i make for myself like some sort of a fucking weirdo steve you can tell there's caffeine in there <laughs> it takes a while it does take a while about an hour maybe 45 minutes after i take these pills i go oh and it's there it is a real thing uh so that's now part of my mix <laughs> And we nice. make so much coffee here at the house. Fiber. Yeah, I have I have no uh, lack of coffee grounds here at the house, so fucking great. It's I wild. Have, I have been saving mine. I don't have a food dehydrator, so this wouldn't be safe for me to try to make pills out of. But I have been saving mine because my dad um, uh, has moved some trees around the, the property, some uh, saplings. To, and, he, and he puts them along the driveway, and there are a couple places where they just were looking not so great. And so we were Googling and stuff, and I was like, well, you know, it seems that maybe it's uh, – maybe you need some nitrogen. Uh, maybe, yeah. You know, maybe the, the soil around there just needs some nitrogen. That's why the leaves are looking so sad. And found out that uh, you could – coffee grounds are going to be a good, decent source for that yeah. fertilizer-wise. So I've been saving mine for my dad to sprinkle um, in his yard in different places. Um been saving my coffee grounds and um 
if you don't get them dry, they do mold. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I have some moldy coffee grounds right now in a jug for him. And uh, the others now I've been putting in a, a plastic ice cream bucket up by the heat duct. And then I'll leave them there until they dry and then pour them into the coffee can uh, of used grounds. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm not going to be making any pills from the moldy grounds because although it could be just penicillin. Um, <laughs> so caffeinated penicillin doesn't sound like a bad thing, but uh, I'm not going to risk it with my um, strange colored coffee grounds. You could also turn your oven on to about 225. When it reaches temp, turn it off and spread your coffee grounds on a sheet tray and put it in there off. Let it sit for three, four hours. It'll dry them right out. Well, and then the, you'll be good. The thing, it's been working decent for me up by the heating duct because um, we've got the Keurig. So I'm just doing, um, you know, I'm, I'm putting the coffee grounds in the little reusable yeah, doodads. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I'm only, I only have, you know, a thing of those a day, sure. usually, of, of coffee grounds. So it's not a whole pot's worth. It's when I make the iced coffee in our little uh, iced coffee thing where I have a whole bunch of grounds that that's gotten me into trouble with the mold because I'll be like, well, I just got to gotta put these somewhere and then I'll add them to the top and then it just never gets dry because yeah. it was, uh, you know, but. Uh, well, so let's talk about soap. So my wife's birthday was yesterday and I got her a class at a uh, handmade soap store, again, in the old neighborhood. It's called Distinct Bath & Body. It's on Milwaukee, just north of Irving Park, if you're familiar with Chicago. That's where we get legitimately all the soap for our house because the fellow Sam who owns that joint, we've been buying from him for like 10 years now. And first ran into him at uh, Farmer's Market, and then he got his brick and mortar, and he's just been sort of chugging along this whole time. And my wife and I don't do birthday presents anymore. Like, we're in our, again, very early 40s, but, like, we don't need stuff. And so we yeah. do activities. We do events, that sort of thing. So soap making class, man, did I learn a shit ton about soap making. And it's not difficult to make soap. It's just skill-based. And you have certain things that need to be mixed together at certain times and certain temperatures, and you have to mix them in a certain way. Getting the ingredients is the tough part because one of them is sodium hydroxide i believe lie it's lie right yeah yeah you can't just go to the store and buy that shit you have to get that <laughs> from like a chemical house or some sort of a craft store kind of a place and it's very very dangerous it's it's a really really strong base it's super dangerous but all of that because i don't necessarily want to make my own soap that's not that might be a thing that we do but i don't know so we we're asking him questions, right? Because, like, the the actual procedure, Sam did a great job of keeping everything very safe for us. So, like, the actual dangerous part, he did that, and then the mixing part, we did, and we decided what sort of scents and herbs and shit we were going to put in there. And then he told us that it takes two weeks for the soap to cure, so we're going to go back and pick it up later and whatever. And it was, it was a, a grand old time. We started asking him about what you can put in there because it is the... Sodium hydroxide gets mixed with water, but it doesn't have to be water. Like, he's made soap out of beer. He's made soap out of wine. He's made soap out of all kind of other liquids. And uh, his assistant was like, yeah, coffee. And I was like, oh, now you got my attention. <laughs> I have this dehydrator. I have this high-end grinder now because I've been making powders out of stuff, lime zest and orange zest and beets and coffee and whatever. All of that could go into soap, it turns out. So, like, again, after the end of the world, I'm accidentally getting myself prepared to be pretty self-sufficient here which is really nice do nice. i think i'm gonna turn into a soap maker nah but like there's a word saponification is the actual chemical reaction that happens between the sodium hydroxide solution and whatever oils you're using that makes it into soap i thought it was just like an emulsification there's a actual like heat generating 
uh, chemical reaction that happens there. And it was fascinating to do all that stuff. And my kids were bored out of their fucking minds. But it was fun for my wife and I. <laughs> and we're going to get I, like eight bars of soap out of it, too. <laughs> my question is, is the, is the name of this place spelled D-E-S-T-I-N-C-K-E-D? Distinct? <laughs> no, but that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be if you ever opened up like a biker bar soap store. <laughs> Like a heavy metal soap store. That would be cool. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, now I'm, I'm very much so not an expert. But you never know. Now I have this idea in the back of my head and I've got all of these things in my... I have... Somebody gave me a box of botanicals, right? So it's like dried uh, culinary grade uh, marigold and rose petals and lavender and something else. I forget what the other thing was. But it's this enormous amount. You don't think that like six, eight ounces of something is a lot until it's a dried flower petal and it's this giant ass <laughs> bag. And so I have all these. We put some of those into the candles my daughter made. But you can't possibly use enough of those at a time. So yeah, maybe I'll turn into a soap maker too. I don't know. It's not that I've got tons of free time, but like I've got enough. I it, it, it's, it's a matter of scale. When I was working in restaurants, I had zero free time. Because I was working like 10 hours a day, five, six days a week. And now, like I'm working five days a week, nine hours a day. But I have my weekends free. And it's just like my weekends and evenings free. So it's useful time. I feel like I'm not doing enough. Even though like <laughs> I have a I have a double batch of sourdough going in my uh, in the lab right now. As well as I need to make more pills today because I'm getting low. Like I'm doing plenty of shit, but it feels like I'm not doing enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so weird. Speaking of doing enough, you mentioned labor issues. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, any of you who listened to my interview with Jensen Cummings, who is that uh, chef fella out of Colorado who's trying to single-handedly change the industry, you are all aware that I talked to him about a lot of labor stuff and a lot of just, like, restaurant environment stuff, food service environment stuff, where, like, y'all remember that we lived in fear of the chefs that we worked for. And we did the best job we possibly could so that we wouldn't get fired, so we wouldn't get yelled at, so we wouldn't get uh, the real shitty shifts and stuff like that, right? Like all of that sort of personality-based nonsense that happens when you work for big, uh, brash kind of asshole chef guys yeah. back in the 90s and the early aughts. That's starting to change, and I want to be part of that change, you know? So I try to be that chef who is more talky. If there are problems, I want to identify them immediately. You're not going to get to a, a review with me where you're going to get surprised. If you are getting a review from me, we're talking about shit that we've already talked about. Because if we don't, if I allow you to continue to fail until it's your review time, that's my bad. I should right. be identifying shit you're not doing right. Or at least not doing to the standards that we have in the operation. And telling you immediately. Also, if I don't, you're harming the customers. <laughs> you know? So that. I want to be a talky chef. I don't want to be a shouty chef. Yeah. And it seems to be working. I have six spaces for employees in my shop. And I have five that are glorious. Three of them have been with me between six, in one case, years, and two and a half years. And then the other one's been with me for about five. The other three are, rough, are brand new this year. One of them's been with me for about a month and a half. One has been with me for four months, and the other one's been with me for about two and a half months. Except that one, we're going to name that employee Reginald. That's not this person's name, but let's go with Reginald. So, two and a half months, and you all know that employee that comes in. Like, if, if, a, if, a, if a job interview is a first date, 
the first couple of weeks are second date, right? Like you're still putting out your absolute best self for your boss in that first couple of weeks of work. And then shit tapers off a little bit. That is just what happens because you come in hot and you're doing the absolute best job you can. You're helping everybody out and you're being like in a really good mood and all this kind of stuff. And then you figure out the things that are working and the things that aren't working, the things you need to do, the things you don't need to do. And you adjust, right? Reginald dropped off fucking hard. <laughs> Reginald was all over the place and helping people out and taking the garbage out when nobody asked him to and all this stuff. And then after about week three, that shit dropped off. And we, he and I talked, Reginald and I talked, Reggie, Reggie and I talked briefly after about that third week. And I just said, you know, you came in with this, these, these expectations. Here's the list of things that your station does. Here are the things you're doing. Check, 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 check. Here are the things that you're not doing, and I want you to adjust these things. So then that was a bounce back. So for that next week, Reggie was killer, right? So now we're into a full month, and then it started to taper off again. By the end of that second month, I sat Reggie down, and I was like, all right, we've talked about this stuff already, and now there are new things you're not doing. And, like, all of the interpersonal issues that are happening in the kitchen now have you involved. There is a thing going on here that I don't know what it is, but you are doing about two-thirds of the job that I hired you for, and you're not getting along with the other five people in the kitchen. All of this shit needs to be handled. So this is on a Friday. Don't worry, chef, I can fix it, Reggie says. I'm like, okay, great. I wrote all this stuff down because that's how we do stuff in my operation and in my company and in my kitchen for sure. I give him a week, but I don't tell him that. I'm not like, you've got a week to get this fixed. I'm just like, I'm going to observe this dude for a week. Monday, banging. Tuesday, banging. Wednesday, gets into a fight with my lead cook. There's a type of person working in this industry who cannot take direction from a 30-year-old woman. Mostly those people look like me. <laughs> and my lead cook is a 30-year-old woman, and she is the talent that I've been looking for in my kitchen. I've got to keep her interested. I've got to keep her happy. And she's going to do great things. And she's already doing great things for me. Uh, she's phenomenal. Couldn't do the job without her. If she has a problem with somebody in my kitchen, that other person is wrong. No question. <laughs> no question at all. That's not misguided loyalty. She is so good that if she's got a problem with somebody, then that person is the problem. So the rest of that week goes by. Thursday, Reggie comes to me and is like, I want to talk to you about the lead cook. And I was like, great. I was about to walk into a meeting. I was like, let's do this tomorrow after service. He goes, great. Friday after service, ditches. He just, he ducks me. He clocks out. He goes home. I'm like, okay, I see how it is. I write up a new document, Monday we talk, and I did the hardest thing I've had to do in my management career in the last couple of years. I counseled him to quit. I was like, look, here are the things that you do really well. Here are the things that I need you to do. These lists are distinct and separate. You do a lot of things really, really well in a cook sense, but the things that I need you to do here, you're not hitting these marks. And now it's been two and a half months. And I shouldn't have to be asking you to do these things now. These should just be in what you do. And he goes, I've never seen this list before. And I brought out another piece of paper. And I was like, this is what we talked about two weeks ago. Or last, last a week and a half ago. I don't remember that. I was like, I, this doesn't have to be an argument. You can be a great cook in a restaurant and not fit in the operation we have. We're not exactly a restaurant. We're different. And finding out that a job does, is not a good fit for you is not a failure. You've learned a thing. I was like, look, the classiest thing to do here, put in your notice right now, work out two weeks, give me time to find a replacement, 
and then go focus on your other job because he worked at a restaurant as well and he told me he got a promotion over there like that seems to be the thing that you're good at go do that and he was like okay great and then he didn't show up tuesday or wednesday or thursday and my company considers that voluntary job abandonment so he can't work for my company anymore and he's considered persona non grata right and it's just like i tried i tried real hard to be the nice guy but i've learned my lesson in the past about like there's only so many chances you can give somebody and i'm not doing us an employee any favors by allowing them to do their job badly and it's wrecking the rest of my crew because they have to pick up the pieces so i was just like you know what i'm gonna do this head on i'm gonna say academically mathematically here are the things you do here are the things you're not doing and i need you to do both of these lists because it's the job and if you feel like this is not what's going to do it for you don't come in anymore work out two weeks notice which i still go back and forth about that because if i was going to fire somebody i'm not going to give them two weeks notice i'm going to fire them and be like get the fuck out yeah. but i also told him i was like i don't want to fire you that's a black mark essentially on your resume you have to tell people you got fired that's dumb I don't need to fire you right now. I need you to do this list, do it for the next two weeks, and then peace out, and we'll be all good. I'll give you a good reference because you're not a good worker for me in our environment. Doesn't mean you wouldn't be good in a restaurant. Fine. Like, I saw what he was doing. He was too much of a line cook and not enough of what we needed. Fine. He decided to go another route. <laughs> <You know. laughs> and has probably lost that that recommendation now, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, then he gets to explain. See, that's the thing, too. Because he was working a second job at the same time of working for us, he doesn't really have to explain a gap in his resume, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. whatever, he'll just take us right off of the resume and whatever. It's just weird that, I guess, from my perspective, I would never have quit a joint without two weeks. I've had places, I've given two weeks, and I've had places replace me in that two weeks and say, we don't need you anymore, and that's fine. I've had that happen. But, like... I would never just piece out of a job. That's that's the old school fear-based restaurant training that I have. I, I could never yeah. <laughs> do it. But if this guy's name ever comes up, I have to tell this story. I have to say, this guy is not rehirable by my company. That's all the detail I can give you. So was Reg because of Reginald Barkley on Star Trek? Is that why you uh, was he a uh, Barkley? Uh, no, no, he wasn't a Barkley by any means. I I don't even know who on Star Trek I would compare this guy to. Uh, however. I'm five episodes into Picard, and we have not seen Barkley yet, but I feel like Barkley's coming back in this season. <laughs> They're bringing back everybody. They're playing the hits on purpose because they know the first two seasons sucked so bad. <laughs> but so that's where I am, and you know what? We, because we're a school, spring break is coming up. We have seven more shifts before spring break. Spring break is a week and a half. After that, we only have eight weeks of school, and then we're on summer break. So I talked to my staff. I sat everybody down, and I said, does anybody have any feelings about Reginald? And this shit always happens. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a line cook, if you're a bar back, if you are a server, whatever, and you trust your manager, bring this shit up early. Because every time we have somebody leave my kitchen, it turns out, the day after they leave, it's like when you break up with somebody and all of a sudden your family's coming out of the woodwork going, I never liked her anyway. It's that kind of shit. I'm getting these wild stories about this guy that I never knew. Apparently Reggie really sucked. And I'm like, wait a minute. How did I not know any of this stuff? Because I can't be everywhere all the time. Yeah. And one of my, so one of my newest, my newest staff member, she was like, I didn't know. Like, maybe you loved that guy. He started before me. I didn't know I could rat him out. And I was like, okay, from now on, if anybody ever makes you uncomfortable, because this was like a legit HR problem. I was like, if anybody ever makes you uncomfortable, you come to me about it immediately. Jesus. But based on my example, 
the folks in my kitchen who have been with me a while were doing what I was doing. They were trying to give him a chance. It came from a good place. But at the same time, I'm like, bro, you got to tell me this stuff so that I know. Because the other thing is that I need to be able to address those things when I sit somebody down. When I'm like, hey, Reggie, you're not doing these things. Also, you make two of the staff really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I need to be able to do that kind of stuff. Now, do, does this change at all? Um, so, uh, so you asked that. Are you are you also suggesting? I guess before I get to the other question, are you suggesting or um, hinting that maybe you're not going to look to replace Reggie before the end of the year? I am not. So yeah. that was what I sat my staff down. I was like, all right, because we did Tuesday through Friday that week, running a person short, and we kind of divided up Reggie station among the people who would be able to do that stuff. And it honestly, not only did it work out pretty well, and the product was better, and the station was better. Uh, because things had gotten worse over there than I even noticed. Because I am not going to babysit people. I am not going to back check somebody's station every day. And I think that's the kind of thing Reggie needs. I think he needs to work in a place where his station is very explicit. Here are the eight dishes you make. You're going to get a line check every day. You're going to get a prep list every day. I think he needs that kind of stuff. And then from that, I bet you he's a prep monster. Fine. That's not what I was going to do. And left to his own devices, the dude let that station slip. So the remaining six of us, because there's supposed to be seven total, six of them and one of me. The remaining six of us were able to get that station knocked out all the rest of that week, and it was fine. And personally, like, the vibe in the kitchen was so much better because that dude, I didn't realize, was bringing everybody down. And I'm like, you guys have got to tell me this shit. Fine. So I asked the staff, I was like, th th I cannot pay you more money. That's not what this is about. But what do you guys think? Is it worth trying to bring somebody in knowing that, like, they're only going to work for us for two months and we're going to be like, haha, fuck you, it's summer break. Or do we just stagger through the rest of the year? We all get used to this after a week of doing this station. And then coming into next year, I spend the summer really interviewing and I get exactly the right person in that spot. And they were all like, if we have to choose between doing the work ourselves and possibly bringing in another Reggie, fucking let's do the rest of the work ourselves this year. I said, great. And I, I do a bunch of it myself, right? Like I'm not just like, haha, you guys have to do this. Fine. Also, my staff knows after we break down our whole lunch service, that's when a lot of the prep for that station needs to happen. And nearly everybody got overtime last week because of it. They don't mind that shit at yeah. all, right? <laughs> if you're staying an extra 15 or a half an hour every day, and that comes out to three, four hours of overtime at the end of the week, yeah, yeah. nobody's sad about that. Right. So, yeah, it looks like what we're going to do. I have not cleared this with my boss yet because he's still on his medical leave and he's not going to come back yet. But I... Are they going to force me to hire somebody? Am I going to be in trouble if I'm not actively looking for somebody? I don't think so. But I'm just going to say to my boss, like, you know what? This has been an issue, and I'm just going to handle it by paying the rest of my staff a little bit of OT every week, and we're just going to stagger through the rest of the year. Yeah. And my, I mean, my boss, been... trust me, he knows it's going to be fine. Yeah, and it's not that dissimilar from the rest of this year anyway. <laughs> so Right. Um, we were fully uh... staffed for three weeks and then i had to counsel someone to leave and they left on not the greatest terms fine whatever well, and i would imagine that part of the reticence on the rest of the crew's part in terms of speaking up is because they know what the rest of the year has been like so it's not just the we want to give this guy a chance but it's also the we've been short-staffed for 80 yeah. percent of the school year or more and and to you know bring that to you now when 
you know, you're able to be doing these other things that you needed to be doing before when you were short staffed, you know, that that's yeah. that just adds to that sort of well, maybe we can maybe we can tough it out a little bit longer. But uh, it seems to me that you you I mean, that seems to be an exceptional way of of handling that, like uh, you, you gave enough opportunities for improvement. Um, you covered your butt in terms of, you know, everything that needed to be done for your company. But I mean, it wasn't a cover your butt in a just to cover your butt kind of way, but a, but um, in, in a just human decency kind of way as well yeah. that happened to also be covering your butt um, to make sure everything was done correctly. And uh, and yeah, the the counseling him to quit. I mean, that all that sounded like good advice to me. Um, so here's here's my question that I was going to yeah. ask earlier. Um, so is there was there slash is there or do you need to add interview questions about how comfortable a person is working under a woman because there seems to be a specific type of person but also certain careers and i would feel that um just with the lack of head chefs um or you know women that are leading kitchens yeah um because there's been just for for decades that was unheard of Right. And uh, so less so now, but that 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 could still be some um, uh, sexism that's just bred into the system. Um, So I I don't know, like, how do you how do you weed that out in the interview process if it's possible? Excellent, excellent question. And I asked my boss that same question, because even though he's out on medical leave and for some reason, my company, when uh, a district manager is out on any sort of leave, they cut off their email. It feels weird, but that's what they do. <laughs> uh, but I've been texting with him, and I told him this whole thing. And like I said, I, I need his permission to not hire somebody. I haven't broached that yet. But I did tell him that one of the big problems was that Reggie was not able to listen to my lead cook. Like, she would tell him something, and he would turn and look at me. Like, no, that's not how this goes. Basically, when I'm not in the room, my lead cook is me. She knows exactly what to do, and she's fucking fantastic. So, that. And I asked him, I'm like, how do I do that in an interview, man? Like, how do I tell people, you need to be able to take direction from a young woman. Is that going to work for you? And he goes, you can't fucking say that. I was like, I know, I know. And he goes, have your lead cook in on the interviews. I was like, that's the perfect fix. If an interviewer, ha- if an interviewee has trouble with me and my 30-year-old female line lead, lead cook, interviewing that person together, red flag. And I went, yeah. that's, that is, that's elegant. It's a very elegant solution to just have her in the room. Like, all right, sweet. Yeah. And there's nothing, there's nothing like uh, confidential in an interview, you know? Yeah. Great. Yeah. That, that, oh, that's, that is brilliant. And I feel stupid for not have thought, think, uh, not have, uh, having thought of it. But... I also did not thought of that myself. So. <laughs> but because there's a couple things. One is that it, it sets the power dynamic up. Yeah. straight off the bat because yep. if they're sitting in on the interview then then that is clear from the beginning and the other thing is even if so if, if she's asking some questions as well and the yeah. person never looks at her but always addresses you <laughs> then it's like okay yeah. well here's their flag i mean i'm sure there's some others as well but that one is one that comes to mind right off the bat yeah that's great there is a chef in this city and i'm going to tell the story it's not my story i'm going to tell this story because this chef put this up on instagram and this chef, Bo Fowler, who runs a restaurant called Owen and Engine, and another one that I can't come up with off the top of my head right now. Uh, this chef, Bo Fowler, their company is hiring a uh, an um, an accountant, I guess. And 
this accountant applicant had been uh, only talking to either the business manager, the front of the house manager, GM, something like that. And so the email went something like this from the GM. Hey, if you have time, Chef Bo would like to interview you as well. When would be a good time for you? That would also be a good time for her. And the response was, I don't interview with women. How dare you uh, not tell me until now that, quote, Bo was a woman. Like, holy <laughs> shit. Whoa. So, yeah, I mean, it obviously won't be as overt as that. That was shocking when I read that interaction on uh, on Instagram. But at the same time, like, kudos to Bo to be like, oh, fuck you, dude. So we're not going to even consider you anymore. You are off the list, and I'm going to promote this shit on Instagram. She took his name off. She took his email address off. But at the same time, it's just like, holy fuck. Who says, like, who types that shit out in an email? But you're right. In a more subtle way, you will be able to tell that in an interview, especially if I give my lead cook some questions to ask. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, uh in in um i guess pun intended but it takes some balls to actually put that in an email oh yeah yeah yeah. instead of being like oh you know what i got another opportunity and just you know living with your sexism and and going about your day but to actually like put it in writing that's wild it's absolutely wild yeah wow you've got a wow like was this person 80 and uh used to work (laughs) for the mob or i don't don't. (laughs) so where I am now is I've come full fucking circle. I started the year understaffed and I had this roller coaster throughout the school year of being almost staffed and then understaffed and then suddenly understaffed and then way understaffed and then fully staffed. And now I'm like, I've made a choice. It feels better because I'm in control of it. I have made a choice that I'm going to have a hole in my roster. Don't get me wrong. Part of my brain is going, that is payroll that's going to help my bottom line at the end of the year. I have a hole in my roster on purpose, and it's also that, like, vibe, right? I know going into work every day that I have to do a little extra work. When you show up and you suddenly have to do a little extra work, that is fucking stressful. But, like, now I know I have to do Reggie's job, and so do all of my cooks. Six people together can do Reggie's job in about an hour, Because Reggie's job was set up to take about eight hours, right? So, like, all of us busting ass can do that job. No problem, right? It feels different to know going into it that I'm choosing to have that space just be open. And also, like, how much of a dick move would that be to hire somebody right now? Like, even if I was very upfront about, like, this job's only going to last you two months, then we're off for two months, I would still feel bad for anybody I hired. So, yeah, because they would not even hit... Yeah, they wouldn't hit the 90 days where they started accruing PTO and shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until hey, September. So let me let me throw this at you. And maybe your company already has something like this going on um, that you could utilize. But this goes back to last week or a few weeks ago when we were talking about different stuff. Um, but your, uh, um, your house is set up really well for internship of a high schooler or some sort of program that would so if you could do um some sort of work um situation because their school breaks would be the same you wouldn't need to worry about employment over the summer you're they're getting out in time now it would have to be something where they could work during school or i mean that would be weird if it was an actual high schooler but i don't know if there's some sort of internship program you could do with maybe one of the colleges um to you know get be getting some work experience 
in a legit kitchen, you'd be able to get some people off on the right foot in terms of you don't have to put up with some yeah. stuff in kitchens, you know, and share some of your experience with someone who's just getting started or looking into um, the culinary arts. And uh, um, maybe that could be a solution for, you know, I mean, you, you might be rotating through a lot of people, but it could be getting a person in the spot. It's just a matter of how much training would need to go into, you know, if it's a rotation of like, you know, six people throughout the year, it might be more of a pain than it's worth. But um yeah, it would be interesting to find out if there was a way to like two people per year would be fine if we did like a like couple a semester. of semesters worth. Yeah, yeah, two or three people. Because yeah, there are a number of culinary schools here in Chicago that offer night classes. So if we, because we're a six a.m. to two p.m. kind of a joint, if I had a culinary student in that particular position, it's really a knife skills and kitchen skills, sanitation, rotating, uh, stuff like that making dressings whatever uh it, it is a pretty baseline job so somebody who's in culinary school who is learning those skills at that time it would be a pretty good goddamn job for them especially because weekends are off and it's daytime work i hadn't thought of that so i don't that know would, I don't again know. that would be a next year project yeah for sure well i mean it's something to you could look into i mean i don't know how much of your summer you'd want to spend on that kind of thing but and i don't know i wouldn't even know where to begin looking into that but just because we talked about it a couple of years ago it's kind of in my brain i mean a couple of years ago a couple uh weeks ago it's kind of in my brain when we were talking about all the child labor stuff you don't want yeah. to bring in a 13 year old but yep. uh <laughs> you know maybe there's something like that out there that might solve um might solve the problem you know in a way that that hadn't been um thought of before or you know whatever I don't know. yeah i was in contact with a lady at a uh food incubator food small business incubator called the hatchery here in chicago which is very cool you rent kitchen space they have services there like business classes and marketing and how to make a brand and how to do all this kind of stuff and they have um placement services for folks who are in the industry who just need a job and so i was in contact with a lady from there However, it's not student-based. That's more like folks would come in and they would sign on to the hatchery to be just like your basic kitchen help. So say, say you're a chef and you do in-home catering or you do meal prep or you do uh, festivals, right? And you just need some hands on deck to make a shitload of stuff one day for the next day. You can hire out people who work for the hatchery to just be hands on deck. They also offer like location and placement services for the folks who are signed on for that and so i was in contact with that lady but it doesn't seem like what the folks who work there were looking for was solid work consistent solid work it looked like what they were looking for was one-off gig stuff which is also fine but that's not like we've had temps in-house before we've had some gig workers they're always terrible sorry ladies and gentlemen if you're a gig worker <laughs> I have yet to have anybody come into my shop. Seven years we've been using temp agencies off and on. I have yet to have any individual person come into my shop as a temp worker who I'm like, I need to hire this person somehow. Not yeah. a fucking <laughs> one. Not a one. I don't remember the name of the most recent. Oh, no, it was People Ready. Fuck those guys. People Ready is the most recent vendor that my company uses for temp agencies here in Chicago. Fucking awful absolutely fucking awful so i was bullied into taking a zoom call meeting during lunch like the only time during my day that i'm legitimately busy with a people ready rep who was fucking awful 
they got exactly the qualifications that I needed as far as like whenever I need somebody. I need them to have knife skills. I need them to be a kitchen person. I need them these hours. I need them to have these. Like their background check has to be this and whatever. And the first time we used them, the person, they gave me the wrong login information for the app because you have to approve the hours day of and then they pay their staff the next day. They pay next day. That's their guarantee. So they gave me the wrong login information. The guy showed up late. He was a server. He was not a cook. So everything we asked him to do, he did not know how to do. By the end of that shift, I still did not have the login information, even though I had emailed and texted my garbage rep twice. That guy was scheduled to come in the next day. He did not show up. When I got into work, there was a message from him on my work phone. You didn't pay me. What's wrong with you? All this kind of stuff yelling at me. And then he called me after his shift was supposed to start to specifically tell me that he didn't come in because I didn't pay him. And I was like, A, how the fuck dare you call me? B, I gave all the information to the rep. That's what I was told to do because they fucked up the app somehow. And I was not able to approve your hours. She's doing it. Also, I don't want you here. And I'm going to tell people ready that because you called me up. You had the audacity to call me up and yell at me because your company didn't pay you. So I called my rep. It's like 6.15 in the morning. Got her voicemail. Told her all of that. She calls me back at like 9. Right? Did they send anybody else? I was like, no. They didn't send anybody else. We got a bill the next day for the uh, person that they say that they sent. And it took me like three weeks talking to home office, my home office, to get that fought. Because I was not going to pay for somebody who didn't show up from the garbage-ass company that sent me a server to do a cook's job in the first place. Yeah. Holy shit, was it a train wreck. And then they still email me like once every two, three weeks. Hey, do you need anybody? And I'm like, lose this fucking email address. I hate you and I never want to do business with you again. And that's just the most recent in a long string of like, temp agencies are fucking garbage. Yeah. Places that are trying to fill the shift gig void. Yeah, we still talk about that guy. I can't even remember his name. But, like, they they bring that... Oh, yeah, Shift Gig was terrible, too. Uh, Shift Gig was purchased by LGC Associates, and then they closed, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. So, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but my cooks will bring him up and, and talk about how terrible he was. You just so need to, to let everyone know that from now on, anyone like that is to be referred to as Reggie. There you so go. So that, you know, they're just lumped into the Reggie pool. Sorry, Reggie's of the world <laughs> right right man sorry to rant about temp agencies and <laughs> ladies and gentlemen if you work for a temp agency and you're a cook and you're good fucking great call me right now because uh there there we are going to have some busy times throughout the rest of the year we're only we're being a little bit understaffed is gonna suck i have some people i can call on but they're not terribly consistent uh so we'll see how that goes and it's gonna require just super careful planning on my part what are you going to do? It's the week. So we're coming into the week before spring break, which means that everybody who forgot to have a party before spring break is ordering shit now. And I, tomorrow morning, I'm going to send an email out saying, guess what? We're booked. This is it. We're done. Uh, if you want anything else this week, you're on your own because I just will not be able to handle it because I'm not going to have time to plan for something. When I get a teacher email me on Tuesday, Hey, I need this thing for tomorrow. I'm just going to be like, no, you don't. You may want yeah. that thing, but you're <laughs> going to have to figure out a different way to get it. You know? Because I'm just going to, I am too busy. There is an upper limit to the amount of shit that I can do. Yeah. Yep. Also healthy to know. Uh, you know what? I would also, I would put that out there to every chef in the world listening to the show. Figure out what that limit is for you and work up to about 95% of that and stop. Because you're going to burn yourself out otherwise. Yeah. Especially these days. Because we will always think 
if a cook doesn't show up, I'll just do it. And that's fine. Once. But if a cook doesn't show up and you do that work and then you get used to it and then you have other things to do and then you have other things to do and other things to do, something is going to drop off. And maybe it's going to be your mental health, right? So like I, like I said, I am yeah. making a choice with the full buy-in of all my staff to run understaffed for the rest of the year. However, I need to identify the things that I'm not going to be able to do because I am doing that other thing. So identify that shit early and figure out what you can't do. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to talk about this and then wrap it up for the day? We have a disaster that happened in... <laughs> West Reading, Pennsylvania, last this past Friday, the 24th. Oh, yeah. So this, I do not want to mock this, but right, I do right. have questions. So this comes from Spectrum News, New York 1. Pennsylvania chocolate plant blast. Kills five, leaves six missing. The picture I'm looking at here, Steve, is like a pile of rubble where a building used to be. Right, yes, it's or a wing wild. at least. wild, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was taken from, I think, a video of, uh, um, and and as f I I tried to do some uh, googling here before we started or some searching, and I don't I couldn't find anything that had any more information. So as far as I know, they still do not know what caused yeah uh, the the explosion. Um, is chocolate? So um, I, did we talk about first jobs last week? Um, uh, roundabout way of getting there, but my so my first job was working in a cemetery, oh, yeah. Yeah. and my boss there, whose name was Ray, probably still is. Um, before he got the job as the sextant of the cemetery, he worked in a um, creamer factory where they I think were making non dairy creamer. Okay, and that stuff is explosive. Yeah, when it's just in the air, I, I don't know about explosive. It's definitely flammable. Right, like, the way that if, flour is. Yeah, if you strike a match, then it's going to ignite and the whole place is going to, you know, a fireball is going to rip through there. So is chocolate like that, too? Would 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 chocolate, if it's in the air, would that be able to cause an explosion? It does. I wouldn't think it would be of the magnitude that this looks like. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because I don't I don't make chocolate from like the way that these folks would have been making chocolate. Because this isn't like a Hershey's factory. This is a. If not mom and pop, a very small artisan kind of a chocolate place. This is called... R.M. Palmer the, Company? Yeah, R.M. Palmer Company plant in the borough of West Reading. So, I don't... I don't know. I mean, cocoa powder is probably flammable, if that's how you're starting. But I also... I, I don't... I am not familiar enough with the chocolate making process to know if that is the sort of thing like it feels like if this was just like gas main issue that would have been identified pretty quickly yeah i would have thought so too because the gas company you think they would have seen something on their equipment yeah. or something to be able to know however let me just because again we're ladies and gentlemen we're not making fun of this the first no. line of this article is an explosion at a chocolate factory in pennsylvania on friday killed five people and left six people missing authorities said by now, because I haven't seen any updates, that's 11 dead people, right? The fact that there are six people, just based on the destruction I'm seeing here, n nobody who was, quote, missing has survived this, right? Uh, this is a very, very bad thing. Uh, the article from, or the, the, the quote from the, uh, the mayor, it's pretty leveled. The building in the front with the church and the apartments, the explosion was so big that it moved to that building four feet forward. 
Wow. That's a huge explosion. Now, again, we don't have any details here about uh, how many people work in there normally, right? We don't have any information about, necessarily, uh, how chocolate is made from scratch like this. Again, it feels like if this was a gas-based explosion from, you know, because I'm sure you have to heat it. I'm sure you have to heat the chocolate up. Yeah. Then the gas company would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we noticed that eight bajillion pounds of gas got forced in there and exploded. And that would have been pretty easy to – because also, like, I get the feeling that authorities know what a gas main explosion looks like. Yeah, and I would at least think there'd be, like, a a change in pressure at the moment of the explosion that would be uh, um, on a readout somewhere so that they would know. um, And they would have – I mean, they would be like, yeah, we're closing off the gas mains and everything because this was a gas explosion. I mean, if they have – if they have – Propane tanks in the back, it could still be that, I guess, and not have been discovered yet. Or if they had propane tanks inside or um, that that kind of thing. It's just interesting because what I put on the website is, uh, and again, not in any kind of mocking way, but but chocolate wasn't on my list of like dangerous jobs. Well, right. It reminds me of years ago, there was a Purdue chicken processing plant that caught fire and a number of people died. A, I didn't know chickens were flammable. Right. And again, I'm not mocking it. People died. But like that, that would not have come up on my food operations that could explode bingo card. What we found out later, and I hope it's not the case here. Purdue was in violation of a lot of fire code stuff as far as storage racks and such in front of fire escape doors, fire escape doors being locked, chained and padlocked in some cases. Um, there were there were things that made that particular disaster worse. I do not want to suppose that that's the case here, because explosions happen really fast. Right, <laughs> right, right. So like, if it was a fire kills a number of people, then you want to look into safety things. But when an explosion kills people, it does it really really fast. But like you just said, I would not have looked at a chocolate factory and thought, well, that place is going to blow up. Yeah. Well, and it's the second um, chocolate-related thing we've seen because the other one was the, someone falling into a chocolate vat, right? The two yeah. people. I don't think anyone died. We I don't no. think we got any updates on that. Someone was uh, injured enough that they needed to cut a hole in the chocolate vat to to get him out or her out. Um, but uh, yeah, this is more along the lines of um, just food tragedies, like the uh, wasn't it the boiling molasses? Was yeah, it Boston? In, in Boston or New York? Yeah. Um, that uh, way back when the tidal wave of uh, molten molasses. Uh, so this is along the lines of that kind of thing. And the weird thing is, so when I googled this, I I couldn't find any updates, and also the um, the numbers were all over the place. And uh, I know some of them were published earlier, so you know, uh, in terms of who was missing and stuff. But some of the missing could have been like. I went home, but um, their website says that their communication system is down in terms of, uh, it says we're anxious to be in touch with all employees and the families of employees have been impacted, but the company's email, phones, and other communication systems are down and therefore we're relying currently on first responders and disaster recovery organizations to provide any available information to impacted families. So they're in the dark right now too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's what an awful thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's always a danger, uh, however minuscule or however um, small, in any kitchen of a gas explosion because gas yeah. is used in pretty much any kitchen. Yeah, crazy. Uh, so I'm looking at an updated article from CNN. This is only um, 11 o'clock this morning. Oh, okay. Your time. So about an hour ago. 
Uh, they are updating that it is actually four people that are dead and only three that are still missing because they did find a couple of people who were alive and they were moved to hospitals. Cause of the explosion remains under investigation. So this is still completely unknown. And again, I don't, I, I do not know why aside from like fuel gas explosion, I have no idea why a chocolate factory would explode. That doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. When you're doing, I mean, well, again, I don't know how chocolate's made, so I don't know if anything's under pressure. Oh, that's a good point too. Yeah, I don't know. Also, there's there's a scale sort of a thing that folks don't necessarily know, and it's not their fault because people don't generally make hundreds of thousands of gallons of chocolate at a time or whatever they were making in right. this place. But like, if you look at your KitchenAid mixer, the dough hook on that thing is about what four inches tall. Bakeries where they have the big, like, 40 or 60-quart Hobart mixers, that dough hook is two and a half feet tall. There's that apocryphal story that everybody tells you in your pastry class in culinary school that somebody reached into that while it was on to remove some dough from something. And their arm got hooked in the dough hook, and their arm got torn off. Do I believe that that happened? No. Could it happen? Fuck yes. That machine is powerful enough to rip your arm right completely off your body. And that's at, you know, like a mom and pop bakery scale. At a large, like if you're at a Sara Lee factory or something, those machines are gargantuan. And so like you were talking about with the guys who fell in the chocolate tank, if there is an agitator in there or something, those two people are lucky they didn't get completely smushed in that. At that scale, you're talking about moving pieces of machinery that are 12 feet in length, right? So at a chocolate making facility like this i can't even conceive of of the scale right so like if i drop some flour on the floor at my house is my house going to explode no if they've got a thousand pounds of cocoa powder and it's going to be loaded into the top of a thing but instead it spills and you have that much dust that spreads out into a confined area and somehow catches on fire could that explode and level a building i don't know but in my brain i can see it happening i've seen enough movies right yeah like i know what that would look like um is that something i would think about in a safety sense no never in a billion years would i think about okay we're making chocolate let's try not to explode today right that would never happen in my head yeah so it will be i mean uh we'll we'll wait and see what the explosion is i guess our money is on gas somehow right now that's my best guess i mean it's a toss-up between that or drone strike but i don't know why somebody would go after a chocolate factory with like a sidewinder missile you know yeah i think the other thing that would lead me to believe um probable uh possible gas uh is also just judging by they've been what does this say they've been around since um you said 1938 or something uh, yeah, this says 70 years in business for more than 70 years. Oh, okay. But who knows when that building was built? It doesn't look like it's a like a new um, uh, industrial park in Pennsylvania. It does look like it's a uh, you know uh, it's been around for a while. So who knows what the infrastructure was like? Yeah. In there, but I mean, this is all conjecture on our part. We have no idea. Yeah. So I guess, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any information on this, we would love to find out. And again, this this is a tragic loss of life. For Absolutely. What, for whatever else you can say about it, like, man, if you're making high end chocolates, you are doing God's own work and you should not get exploded because of it. And so at this point, we have four confirmed dead. We have three confirmed missing. 
And uh, to the survivors, right, like, man, I, I, I hope they're okay. I hope that Palmer takes care of them. R.M. Palmer, uh, and it seems like they are. Like, you always want to be the good boss in that situation, but it really does seem like they are taking all the necessary steps and taking care of their, their people. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely wild. Again, Absolutely. like, I can't get it into my head. Because there are chocolate factories here in Chicago. There was one that, like, neighbors would complain about it. Oh, you can smell the chocolate factory. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's fucking awesome. Never would have expected that it was an explosion hazard. Right. I know. And some of those are, like, uh, the one was uh, near Halstead, downtown-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, Like, heavily residential or apartment buildings and stuff around it. Not, like, an industrial. Maybe it was at one point, but not now. Part of town. Well, and, like, there's that metal recycler scrapyard place on the south side that is constantly like poisoning the water and putting out all kind of fumes and shit you expect that out of that kind of thing yeah if a chocolatier were to move into my neighborhood i wouldn't be like god damn it now i need to get explosion insurance right like that that would never occur to me but it does i mean that does bring up a good point like maybe we should do an episode about like large-scale food disasters like this because i don't know that we've ever talked about that We've, we've talked about those things as they've happened but we've never done like a historical dive on yeah things like this yeah we should because it would i'm sure there's some out there i haven't heard of um and it would be interesting um to see and and to see also what sort of um safety um stuff has has been put in place because of uh, or what maybe needs to be put in place because of some of these that have happened i'm sure there have been some changes um definitely in how molasses is handled yeah yeah i um I worry about deregulation a lot in transportation of stuff, like the disaster that we saw in Ohio a couple of weeks ago right. where the vinyl hypochlorate or whatever it was, chemical was spilled, and the uh, the best thing they could do with it, they're like, ah, oh, let's start it on fire. And that entire disaster was, like, that's a product of deregulation. Like, a couple of years ago, somebody in the White House, not the dude who's currently there, was just like, you know what, just run your trains any old way you want. And then one of them crashed, and it happened to be, like, the one that crashed happened to be the one that was full of, like, really nasty shit. So I worry about deregulation, but we're not seeing that in food. In fact, if anything, we're seeing food get more regulated, which is only to the good. Unless you're in, like, South Dakota, where they're trying to pass that law that's like, yo, but if you want to buy from Judy down the street, it's totally cool. And if it gets you sick, you can't sue her. On a federal level food safety seems to be getting more stringent and more strict and even as somebody who has to get health inspections i'm down for that just tell me what the rules are right right hold me accountable for those rules don't make weird shit up chicago and then we'll all be good i can follow rules i can follow rules just fine can you prevent something like a chocolate factory from exploding i don't know until we find out why this happened i do not know right right it's wild, wild situation. All right. Anything else for you, Steve? Because we have one email that I want to hit, and then I need to get some food. Because I'm sure. Let's let's, uh, let's do it. All right. I was not given uh, necessarily permission to read this, but this is a guy that both of you and I know, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip through this email a little bit. So a fellow who listens to the show named Dave. Hey, Dave. How's it going, man? Uh, sent us an email about robots. And I wanted to talk about this when we were talking about the automated McDonald's, but I forgot. All right, so we're going to do that here at the end. Uh, Dave writes, I perked up when you talked about Flippy and how machines designed to do a specific task in the kitchen make much more sense. 
I recently got to see machines just like this. We visited a company recently called Antunes. It seems unassuming as you drive by, but they make nearly all the equipment that fast casual and fast food restaurants use to prepare and store food. McDonald's is one of their biggest clients, and Sonic is an exclusive client. Ooh. Dave, you're an excellent writer, by the way. This is very easy to read, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Back to his email. They make absolutely everything in-house, and it was really cool to see, but the owner took us around and showed us a prototype they'd made for McDonald's that, from ingredients to wrapped product, entirely makes any of the sandwiches for the menu. While not flippy, this machine exists. So... What we need to do now, Steve, is score us a tour of that particular place. Because it sounds like half R&D and half production of robots that do not human motion things. But, like, how how can we make a robot that makes food? And that's exactly what we were talking about in our episode about food automation. Is, like, yeah. if you are looking at a human being and you're like, how do I make a robot do that? That's the wrong approach. Right. Unless you're making, like, a hooker robot, yeah. I presume. Uh, but if you're looking at a menu and saying, how do I automate these items, that's the right approach. How do I make it so that a an automated system can produce this food? Not right. how do I how do I emulate what a human does? And I'm, I'm fascinated because it's nice to know that somebody out there is thinking about it in those terms. Yeah. Right. Do I want to get replaced by a robot? No. I, would it be nice to know that somebody out there is not trying to hawk Flippy, which, as we saw, can't put the burgers down, can't put cheese on them, and only gets two out of the three onto a tray. Right. <laughs> no shade on Flippy, but at the same time, like, thanks for showing us that you're not replacing people anytime soon. And I guess he's called Flippy, not because he's flipping the burgers, but because the guy that has to put the burgers on the grill and clean up Flippy's messes is constantly flipping the robot off. <laughs> Now, if Flippy ever goes completely crazy and goes on a murder spree, then you could just be like, look, it's built into the name. He flipped out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, did I hear correctly? Did he say that it, it, they have something that will um, compose and wrap any yeah. of the sandwiches on the menu? Yep. So that's like, that is tremendous. Yeah. I would love to see that in operation. Yeah. And somewhere, we were talking about the fully automated McDonald's in not that article, but in another article that I read about that, because I was Googling around trying to find more information. And there's not more information right now, because they are in, as we said, the test and learn phase. They are working toward a model that would be called uh, something like drop and operate, where it's like what we were talking about earlier. The entire McDonald's would be built on the scale of, like, two shipping containers. I don't know why I just whistled when I said shipping containers. I fucked up. <laughs> and it would be literally placed, and then you just turn it on, and it would just go. You, I'm sure, would have to have, like, water and... and, and... Sure I understand. Shut up, Siri. Uh, <laughs> I am also not sure I understand. Um, like, you would pick a piece of real estate, drop this fully automated built in a warehouse factory thing drop it in place hook it up to water hook it up to power hook it up to a contract for somebody to take the garbage away or whatever turn it on and it would just go and all it would need would be regular deliveries of ingredients that's a little scary but at the same time in a star trek kind of sense that's pretty cool like yeah. i could imagine it being delivered by like 400 drones with all cables and shit yeah cool. <laughs> well you know that if, if something like that were to uh, ever happen, it would also then necessitate some changes in how 
uh, deliveries were made. Yeah. Because if there's no one there, you can't just bring stuff in on a hand truck, drop it in the floor somewhere and leave. It's going to have to like buns go in this slot, beef goes in this slot and um, how trucks are packed and how they're unloaded um, is going to have to change to meet then the the needs of those stores and only a big company like McDonald's or Walmart or whatever, um, as much as those giant conglomerates can be, um, evil's not necessarily the right word, but it's <laughs> going to be the word I use. Um, we'll, we'll as, say we'll say negative good. Yeah, <laughs> as much as they can be negative forces, uh, they're the ones that can cause positive changes in some of those areas. And I don't know if that'd be a positive change or not, because the other thing is it does a robot know if, if the robot's just like, I'm going to do burgers, but something other than beef gets put in there mistakenly by a driver or by, you know, if it gets put in the wrong slot on the truck and another robot doesn't know the difference and puts it in there. And suddenly we're, you know, shoe leather is being cooked as the burger meat and being put on the burgers uh, by mistake. Is, is there, what is in place to tell the robot, Hey, this ain't beef. Where's the QC, right? So does yeah. the robot know what a moldy bun looks like? That's the real yes. question. That yes. is the question. Does a robot know what a moldy bun looks like? And so, like you were just saying, I have no ability to go backwards in the supply chain, right? Zero. You're right, though. Somebody like McDonald's could say to their bun producer, we need buns that are this size, this shape, are packaged in this particular way, and fit in this slot, and this is how you have to deliver them. And if their manufacturer says no, then they go, cool, we're going to make our own. Yeah. And so I would not be surprised to find proprietary, like let's say McDonald's, like it works beautifully for them. They, I do not, this isn't a prediction, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them take whatever their purveyors are right now and the ones that they don't already own, they buy them. And then they just start making their specs start being specifically for those particular things where they're like this is the barcode that needs to be on the outside of the package so that the robot can read it this is what the buns need to look like this is the shape of the packaging that needs to go in so you can legit take them out of a truck and push them through the wall through a slot and it goes to the right place on the inside yeah and and allows then whatever uh, mechanisms are inside to practice good uh, fifo and other things that need to happen so that you know we're not misplacing buns and getting stale buns down the road or whatever yeah now my next question this model works let's say this model works right the race is then on because it solves some problems in the states and in domestically and whatever as far as like staffing and probably it solves some waste issues too right like you remove the human element you put could potentially remove certain types of mistakes and whatever i imagine that if the model works the race is then on to figure out who gets the first military contract because and we have a listener named midnight smoke who could probably talk more intelligently to this than i could if you are in a just set up foreign military base as a u.s service person How much of a stretch is it to imagine that on that boat that brings over all your supplies are two shipping containers stuck together that say McDonald's on the outside and it gets plopped down on the ground? A couple of grunts plug it into water and power and all of a sudden you have an operating McDonald's on your base that was just set up, right? Like the first company to get that contract, you're done. Then they take over the world. Yeah. Um. When, with the palm scanners, uh, which was found by my wife, she also sent a picture of uh, the T-100 
um, the Terminator. Yep. Uh, because you know Skynet. But the other, th- the other, the lesser known or lesser referenced thing that I think this specifically speaks to is that Philip K. Dick story, where the guy has to start um, by saying the milk is pizzled. Um, to confuse the robot that's delivering oh, yeah. the milk um, because the uh, the robots are taking care of people and they keep delivering the stuff which the people hate because it's uh, it's awful it's not really nutritious or whatever they, they want to grow their own food and everything but the robots have taken over all of the uh, uh, irritable land yeah um, and, and everything with war factories because a couple factories are the automated factories are fighting each other so <laughs> they're trying to come up with creative ways so that's the way to get the uh, response from the robot at McDonald's is you tell them your burger is pizzled and yeah. it won't know what that means, and so they'll have to try to interpret. And I hate to say it, because I like, I really do like my job, like, a lot. And some of the fun, not fun, but some of the, like, the satisfaction of my job is I do inventory. I know how much stuff I have. I place orders. They come in, and all of those pieces and parts work, for the most part. I bet you that an automated McDonald's is really efficient. I bet you that there's, like an up-to-the-second inventory going on, trends are being reported, things are being noticed, like, we sell more of this, we sell less of this, their inventory has got to be on point all the time. Orders or replenishment orders are being placed, you know, minute to minute, and then when things arrive, there's no extra, there's no waste, they never run out of anything. I bet you that system integrated would be really, really good. And a big part of that would be your palm scanner thing, where they would know, here are the individual people who come here every day, every other day, twice a week, whatever. We need to have this amount of stuff, because we already know these people are going to be here, and they're tracking that shit over time. Yeah. And, yeah, like, I hate to say that that's a thing they that the robots could do better, but I bet you it would be an extremely efficient operation. Yeah. I, th- I think the one area, the, the one arena where I, I think that AI and robots are, are, at least for a long time, are not going to be able to compete with humans is when you look at your dry storage... Or if you don't get something on your truck and you have to improvise, you can look at what you have and create something new. And you're not going to do that at McDonald's anyway because right. McDonald's doesn't do that. They're not going to be like, well, we're out of chicken nuggets, but we can give you this thing made of chicken. Because that's, <laughs> I mean, it's either chicken nuggets or, or nothing yeah. Yeah. Um, for McDonald's because that's the way they operate. But for a regular kitchen, they're not going to be able to look and be like, well, you know what? I have all of that um, soup from the other day. I'm going to make a marinara with it. Or I have all that marinara. I'm going to make a soup out of it. Right. Um, because I have this so we can we can improvise a little bit because so far um, from my understanding is that despite there being quote unquote AI art, um, they uh, AI cannot be creative. It's right. based on data that it is stealing or gleaning or ripping from uh, the internet. So all even its artwork is just a combination of other arts yeah uh, artists' work. so, um, uh, it can't look at what's in your dry storage or look at what you have on the line today and create something brand new for tomorrow unless it's been programmed to say a equals b well and again i love the ai art comparison because i've i know artists and i know people who are really afraid that like their livelihood is going to go away because of ai produced art and i i'm i'm not in that world but i do want to reassure those people that like no you can tell ai art and it's gotten pretty good, but you can still tell. And so, like, there's a 
an artist up in Traverse City that I've purchased a bunch of pieces from, and she does amazing work. No robot is ever going to be able to do the stuff she does. She's safe, right? I almost kind of welcome this new echelon of food. Like, yeah, let's make it so all fast food, Culver's aside, is robot <laughs> food. Let's just make there be another kind of food service. Let's all agree Burger King, Taco Bell, Chipotle, McDonald's, is robot food. And if you needed fuel, if you needed to put material in your body that your body <laughs> can can convert into energy, yeah. you can have robot food. I feel no threat from that. Like you were just saying, is McDonald's going to make a lentil tabbouleh salad the way I do? Never. Never, ever. I feel no fear from that. But am I going to make the kind of robot food McDonald's makes? Also, no. Right? right, so like we don't yes. compete. Right, fine. Let there be a whole thing, just called robot food. <laughs> Done. That's fine. They only compete with each other. The robots can all fight, and then the rest of us can do other stuff like we always have been doing. I don't feel like there's a big competitive issue there, right? Like, am I worried robots are going to come and take my job? Not a chance. Yeah, I will be long dead by the time robots can figure out how to make a lentil tabbouleh salad the way that I make that <laughs> salad. Right. Yeah. Maybe and you've taken it to, take... the, to your grave, so you don't yeah. even have to worry about it then. <laughs> Maybe robots will take my kids' jobs. That's their fight. That's not my fight. <laughs> I'm not real worried, is what I'm saying. Also, yeah. this is the logical end of McDonald's anyway. And I don't mean end like conclusion. I mean end like this is the end game for them. Right. They have been working on a model of consistency for so long yes. that they're getting to the point where remove the human element and consistency will be perfect. Yeah. That's where I'm certain they didn't know that. I'm certain the founder wasn't like one of these days it's going to be fucking robots. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the direction that you go. Right? So like anybody who's watched Mandalorian, you get those dark troopers uh What's his face from Breaking Bad says right to the camera, those are not suits. We took the people out. These robot dark troopers are perfect now, right? And that was the thing. You can automate to a certain degree, but you're not going to get the consistency you want until you take the human factor out. Fine. Just make robot food. That's cool. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm in any danger from robot food. Right. Professionally. Yeah. Now, when you get your conspiracy theorists who are like, the COVID vaccine has a microchip in it so that Bill Gates can track me. And then you see that tweet and it says the location that person's tweeting from because they're tweeting from their phone because they carry a tracker all the time anyway. <laughs> Am I worried McDonald's robot food is going to have like just a little bit of some addictive chemical in it? Yeah, that part I'm worried about. Right? <laughs> How do you health inspect a fully automated restaurant? Automa that part automatically. Yeah, it's got to be a robot food service uh, health yep. inspector, right? That is a job for C-3PO. I've always said that the droids in Star Wars that look like people are kind of stupid because why would you make a droid? Why would you make a robot that has to pick a gun up? Why yeah. not just build the gun into the thing, right? However, C-3PO, born and bred fucking health inspector. That's exactly <laughs> the job for that prissy bitch right there. Oh, the prissy bitch sounds like a great name for a restaurant, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> I have so many things in my head that I want to respond to that with that are inappropriate. So I'm not going to, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you can use your imagination uh, as to what kind of food is served at the Prissy Bitch. Unless, of course, it is like uh, 
like a death metal bar and the name is ironic right (laughs) that could be good okay so again to summarize i'm not really worried about robot food yeah steve are you no (laughs) you know dunkin donuts could also fit into that category sure and nearly so could starbucks sorry starbucks but you're fighting against human unionization so much just hire fucking robots man yeah like it is such a bad look for you already you are clearly the robot overlords just go full robot if there was any danger of like McDonald's uh, robot robot McDonald's taking your job, then um, it would have already put other burger places out of business. But yeah. uh, uh, other better burger places, like legit burger bars and burger restaurants, still exist. Yep. Uh, because of just the wide variety of ways in which people can enjoy a hamburger. So yeah, there's no danger there. There's a an Instagrammer named Sam who uh, runs an Instagram called Chicago Burger Bible. I've tried to get her on the show a couple of times, and it just hasn't worked out. I think she doesn't want to, but I think she's too nice to say that. (laughs) She has this, like, huge spreadsheet of all the best burgers in Chicago. And even with that information, every so often, because she likes a smash burger, every so often I want a steak burger. I want a big, thick fucking patty burger. Uh, And there really aren't any of those on her list because she doesn't like those. So there is so much you can do with pizza with pasta with burgers with all these different things there's so much you can do that if somebody is teaching robots how to do it you shouldn't be that worried and again because i've said i've had this exact conversation if someone comes to you at your burger bar and they're like 15 bucks for a burger i can get this same thing at mcdonald's for a dollar you tell them you go to fucking mcdonald's right now then get away from me because you can't you cannot get the same thing at mcdonald's for a dollar anything you get at mcdonald's for a dollar is worth a dollar Meaning it's probably terrible. Well, and I've said this before, but you don't go to McDonald's because you want a burger. You go to McDonald's because you want McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I don't want to cast aspersions necessarily, but like, do people get excited about going to McDonald's or is it resignation? Do people see a McDonald's (laughs) and they're like, well, there's a space open inside of my body that should have some sort of material in it. That's a place, that's a building that sells material that fits in that space. I guess I'm going to go there. (laughs) It, dep- it depends on your age, I guess. My niece used to really love going to Old McDonald's. Hardee's definitely fits into that space. Yeah. Because <laughs> fuck Hardee's. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So gross. All right, Steve. That's as much as I want to say today because I'm just going to now talk trash about fast food places. And, uh, <laughs> uh, one more thing. Sorry. Colombo style. My kids and I and my wife had dinner at a lovely restaurant, sort of, at a lovely restaurant, uh last night called community which is right next to the soap place where we had our uh class and community tavern is fucking amazing food you would never be able to train a robot to make the kind of food that chef joey and uh, his wife business partner lady make god damn it what is her name brianna glorious restaurant if you've never been to community tavern in portage park what the fuck are you waiting for they make in addition to like some of the best uh, uh, Chinese five spice pork ribs I've ever had in my life, and uh, beef short rib uh, pot stickers, like just wild food, they do this uh, sea trout thing that's just insane. They make a really good fucking burger. Why? Because they know that sometimes you want a really good fucking burger. Yeah. So I ordered that brioche bun. It's a smash burger. It's a double patty with cheese, and they've got a house-made burger sauce, and it's like all the, their pickles are great. Like sometimes you just want a burger that's like this is a really good fucking burger. So I got a bunch of fancy food for my wife and I, and I got burgers for the kids. We get home, we're eating, we're talking, and my something something, and my daughter said, "Well, sometimes we have fast food," and I said, "No, we do not." 
And she held her burger up, and I said, how dare you? Now, she's 10. <laughs> it's not really her fault. She equates burger with fast food. And I'm like, oh, right. no, 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 no. Fast food means a very particular thing. This burger, A, wasn't fast, which is not their fault. They make a really good burger. Right. B, again, how dare you? That burger at Community Tavern is glorious. It is not fast food. There is a huge difference. And I want to make sure my kids know that. So, like, you can have a burger, and it can be excellent. Or you could have fast food. Those are yeah. totally different things. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever encountered a burger robot, or if your chocolate factory has exploded, or what else do we talk about today? If you've ever been encouraged to leave your job by your boss in the kindest way possible and then ghosted him for three days <laughs> please feel free to get a hold of us uh my uh email address in the weeds wbr at gmail.com my instagram is chef ben randall where you'll be able to very shortly see the sourdough that i'm making today which is just a straight up sourdough that i'm making although i've had a lot of success here making one sourdough loaf and three baguettes because my kids will eat the baguettes in like a day uh we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. And as always, he and I are you know, sending each other articles and shit like that uh, via text all the time, and Steve puts those up onto the website. So if you want more information about any of the stuff we've talked about today, it's all going to be up there. Yep. Thank you, Dave, for uh, emailing as well. It's been a minute since we've heard from you, my man. And uh, <laughs> I have another couple of correspondences. I don't have enough to do a whole episode but i will send some stuff to you uh steve and we can we can build our next episode around a couple of those cool that's all i've got steve how about you yep we're coming in at just under two hours we did (laughs) (laughs) all right ladies and gentlemen for in the weeds with ben randall i am ben randall and i'm stephen cadwell we'll talk at you next week bye-bye